Uh, we've had something going on every day, every moment of the day, and I, I was feeling puny the entire time anyway. That was a word my grandma always used when she was feeling less than well. She'd say she was feeling puny. <laughs> y'all, y'all, y'all remember that? Anybody else remember that? She's the only one I ever heard say it. I never heard anybody else say they were feeling puny when they weren't feeling well. But uh, that was, that's what she said, and that's what I've been felt like all weekend. So I'll try to I'll try to be upbeat, but uh, I'm not going to promise you. We're talking about the uh, systematic theology. We're on the doctrine of God uh, proper theology proper. Uh, we have dealt with his moral attributes of his goodness, his grace, his benevolence, his mercy. Um, and we've talked about the things that were less popular, but yet true. And that was his wrath uh, and things of that nature. So we've moved from the... Um, moral attributes to the intellectual attributes of God, and we are talking about the knowledge of God. Um, God, uh, God knows all things, and we're going to try to defend that because we're going to find that that's going to be a little bit controversial <laughs> uh, among, among quote-unquote Christian circles. Uh, but he, he knows, and he's the standard of all knowledge. Everything that can be known, it can be known because he has made it thus. Um, he is the God of all history. He is the God of all, of all the universe, everything in the cosmos that happens, every event in the cosmos, he is Lord over it. And therefore, is, if there is something that you and I know, we know because God is the first and final cause of it. Uh, and that is the part that's controversial. But that's what we mean when we say he's all-knowing. He's omniscient. Uh, we talked about, a, we got in some deep waters. Psalm 94. Psalm 94. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> uh, so we got in some deep weeds philosophically about justified true belief, and we've found that any justified true belief has God as its underpinning. Um, and we're ready to go on from there. Let's read Psalm 94. Let's start in verse 1. Well, let's just start all the way at the top, I guess. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, show thyself. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. Render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things and all the workers of iniquity boast themselves? They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Understand, ye brutish among the people, and ye fools, when will ye be wise? He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, 
shall he not see? He that chastises the heathen, shall he not he correct? He that teaches man knowledge, shall not he know? The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. And then it goes on to talk about the blessed of the one, blessedness of the one that God corrects. But here we hear the words of the psalmist here. He that planted the ear hears. He that formed the eye sees. He that teaches man knowledge knows. He knows and he sees all things. So I figure that's a good launching place for us. Uh, when we're talking about knowledge, it is forever related, at least, at least in its... Uh, at least in its uh, aspects that relate to you and I, it's related to His Lordship. So what are the Lordship attributes? Well, control. He's in control. That's why He knows all things. He has authority. That's why He knows all things. And He is present. Those were the lordship attributes that we talked about a long time ago. Um, these are related to his knowledge as well. Uh, and again, building off uh, John Frame's systematic theology. Um, uh, his knowledge is an aspect of his sovereignty, of his lordship. Uh, when it says... In Amos 3 2, that God says to Israel, You only of, I have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore will I punish you for the iniquities. That word know um, is deeper than just this idea, well, he knows this is a fact that uh, Israel. No, he is related to Israel, and he has related himself to Israel. In a sense, he has chosen that relationship. And he has chosen all of his relationships in all the things that he has known. Um, God is a covenant Lord, and that is part of what we were talking about when we talk about him knowing things. We're not just talking about him knowing facts, but him having, having a real relational knowledge to the things that he has created, and especially to those of us that are saved, uh, where he can say, where he can say, you of all the people have I known. Uh, so there, there is an aspect in which his knowledge uh, to usward is covenantal and speaks of his lordship. Isaiah chapter 40, the scriptures connects his knowledge with his control. Isaiah chapter 40, and let's read verse 12. Uh, this is the beginning of the trial of the false gods there in Isaiah. And he says... Here in verse 12, Isaiah 40, 12, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands and meted out heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor has taught him? With whom took he counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment? and taught him knowledge and shewed to him the way of understanding. And he goes on to say the nations are but a drop in a bucket to him. <laughs> but 
Uh, here we have these, these, these rhetorical questions that, be, that are being asked. And in verse 13 and 14, the answer to these rhetor- rhetorical questions is very simple. Only the Lord to each question. Only the Lord has directed um, the Spirit. Um, and only the Lord has, um, has showed... Uh, Verse 12 and 13, rather. Uh, Only the Lord has measured the, the span of waters in His hands. And the answer in verse 13 and 14, rather, I got those backwards, is that no one, no one but God was a counselor to Him in all these things. He is the foundation of all wisdom, and He is the foundation of all knowledge. Everything that is... Um, is is due to him being the God that is sovereignly controlling all things. His authority, his authority is connected to his knowledge. Turn, if you will, to uh, to uh, Psalm sixty-seven. Psalm sixty-seven. Psalm 67 and verse, he he shows here in verse uh, uh, 5, let the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee. Let's just read the whole thing. God, be merciful unto us, God, and bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us, that thy way may be known upon the earth, and thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon the earth. Uh, That was the verse I was looking for, verse 4. Let the people praise thee, O Lord, let all the people praise thee. This idea that his judgment is completely righteous in all things that he does. This is connected to the idea that this very all-powerful God that is in control of all things also has the authority to judge it and will judge it righteously. Uh, So his knowledge is is built on his authority. Um, Not only is he all-powerful, but he is all-knowing, and therefore he alone can judge righteously. Uh, God knows exhaustively everything about the sinner. Uh, He evaluates their actions correctly. He evaluates the truth of their standards and everything else. And no one, Psalm 94, that we, the one that teaches man knowledge, does he not know? Yes, he knows all things. So, uh, so, he, his lordship is connected with his control. His lordship is connected with his authority. His lordship, of course, is connected with his presence, the, the exercise of his knowledge. God's knowledge emerges, says Frame, obviously from his lordship attribute of presence. God is everywhere. Right? He, he's... he's um, and... and the wicked of this world will say, uh, does not, well, well, what they were saying in Psalm 94, God doesn't know. God's not here. As if he is absent in some way. Psalm 10 is probably the, the greatest example I can think of this. Uh, we, we, we see this, this hubris of the wicked here where they say in Psalm 10, uh, 
the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. Uh, verse 6, he says, He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. Uh, and that's not what I was looking for. Uh, he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see it. That's what the wicked says in his heart and many other places in the Scripture. But God is everywhere, and nothing can be hid from His eyes. That's His, his presence establishes His Lordship, the fact that He knows all things in the exercise of His Lordship. He knows everything we do, every secret sin that we do. Uh, he knows our thoughts and, our, and the intents of our heart. We think of the declaration there in Hebrews 4, for instance, where he says, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. Uh, that, is, that is the presence of the Lord in his word. It is the word he knows, uh, and it's a virtue of his lordship attributes. So now let's get into the deep waters of omniscience. God has knowledge. God is the basis of all knowledge. God is omniscient. Let me write that on the board. One of those omni <laughs> uh, attributes of God. Uh, he's omniscient. We have that word science in here. Omniscient. Uh, knowledge. Omniscient. He knows. How much does he know? Everything. That's, that, that's the doctrine here. His knowledge is universal. And let me ask you this. He, does he know everything in the past? Does he know anything, everything in the present? Does he know everything in the future? That's what we believe, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. And this is where it's going to become controversial for people. But let's talk about what omniscience is. Uh, omniscience, why is it going to be controversial? Because if he knows the future, he is in control of where it's headed. And the question that people ask is, what about human freedom? How could God know what's going to happen in the future if He doesn't know what I'm going to do? And if He knows what I'm going to do, then I'm not free. That's the argument. You see how this becomes automatically controversial. We're not just talking... This controversy is not just when we throw out this idea of sovereignty. This controversy is in the basic truths that the, God te the Scriptures teach us about God, such as is omniscient. Omniscience. You, you probably didn't know that this was very controversial. It is. It is very controversial. So what is omniscience? Omniscience means that God's in control. That's why He knows. He knows what's going to happen 100 years from now. He knows what's going to happen to you when you leave this house, when you leave this house today, right? I thought I was supposed to call it something other than house. That's why I repeated it a second. But, but He knows what's going to happen. Why? Because He's Lord. And he's the author. All things work together for good. He is the one, uh, he is the one 
uh, bringing the things that come to pass to pass. He's the author of the text of history. His wise plan constitutes real knowledge, knowledge of everything. That is what we mean when we say he is omniscient. And that is the declaration of the scriptures. And we're going to get deeper into that as we go on. His knowledge is just as extensive as his lordship. Uh, And the fact that he knows all things presupposes... uh, The fact that he is Lord rather presupposes his universal knowledge of all things. So what is our confession? Our confession is very simple. God's omniscient is not not just something that you and I have confessed because uh, we have logically uh, worked out these syllogisms and we said God must know. This is the declaration of the Scripture, Psalm 147. It's the clear inference from the Scripture. The Scriptures are not vague when it comes to His knowledge. Psalm 147 and verse 5. Great is our Lord, and of great power. His understanding is... Alright, what does that mean? There's no boundary to it. There's no boundary to His understanding. There's no boundary to his knowledge, and his, his, uh, his understanding is an aspect of his knowledge as he is working things toward the greater ends of his uh, authority. So, uh, Lord knows everything about us. What did Peter confess? As he sat by the fire, eating the fish, and kept being asked about Jesus, do you love me, Simon Peter? And what did he finally say? Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. That is a Christian confession that, not, that our God, which is Jesus Christ as well, uh, the Son, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, so it includes the Son, uh, he knows all things. Um, that was the confession of John himself in the book of John, chapter 2, verse 24, where he says he would not commit himself forward to them because he knew all men and he knew what was in men. Hebrews 4, we just read that. The discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Um, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, God is greater than our heart. He knows our heart. And we could go into a lot. We, we can just do a short Bible study right here, getting into Scripture. I hope, you're, I hope you just understand. Omniscience is the inference of the Scripture about the nature of God. He knows. He knows all. There is no limit to His knowledge, His understanding, His wisdom. Uh, think, uh, that was the doxology of Romans chapter 11 uh, before he went to the very next section of Romans there to the practical application of the gospel. There in Romans 11, he stops and sings this doxology. Oh, verse 33, Romans eleven thirty-three. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of, God, of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? He's quoting Isaiah 40 there. Or who 
hath first given him, and it shall be recompense unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What was the, what was the meat of, the, of this praise of Paul? The, uh, the unsearchable riches of his knowledge, understanding, wisdom, and counsel as he works all things. Uh, he knows all about the starry heavens. Isaiah 40, 26. Uh, he knows the tiniest details. Uh, Matthew 10, 30. I can't remember exactly what that says, so I'm going to look it up real quick. Matthew 10, 30. But the very hair... I knew that. Why did I... Why didn't? <laughs> but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. By who? So he was thinking about you this morning as some one of those hairs came out while you were while you were combing it, right? Uh, he was numbered. He knows the tiniest details. Um, in the scriptures, often it is used, his knowledge is used as an oath-like utterance. The Lord knows, someone would say. The Lord knows, and I think that is a very good for good thing for us to maybe bring back as we as we as we uh, as we speak, because uh, that's how God's people have used, uh, used to speak. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. Uh, that, so it was used a couple of places, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 11, 2 Corinthians 12, 2 and 3. Uh, you, we see the use of that oath-like utterance among the people of God. Um, it, elicits the, it elicits a religious praise. We just saw that in Romans 11, among other places. Psalm 139 that we read last week, there is something wonderful about just this fact. God knows. You can rest in that. Um, the wicked people often think that he does not know. We saw that in Psalm 10, 11, um, and other places as well. We're not going to go into that. God's knowledge is a blessing of his covenant. He knows what is happening to them. He hears his people. He will certainly answer his people. That is the refrain that you find time and time and time again in the scriptures. The Lord knows what you're going through. And we rest there. All right, so that's omniscience. Omniscience is clearly taught and inferred in the Scripture. He has perfect knowledge of the past. He has perfect knowledge of the present. And he has perfect knowledge of the future. And we're going to have to touch on that because the question is, 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 does he? Does he know what's going to happen in the future? And if so, what does that mean for human freedom? Can we still hold to human freedom and uh, libertarian freedom specifically um, and still hold to the, God, the, the idea that God is omniscient? All right, so does his knowledge include knowledge of future events? Well, one thing we know is God foreordains things. Amen? I know that's a, that's a scary word, but He does. He foreordains specifically the events that brought forth the salvation of all through Christ. Uh, every event that occurred 
that put Christ on the cross 2,000 and well, almost 2,000 years ago happened according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God according to the book of Acts. Right? He had a plan. Jesus wasn't saying, you know, this might happen when I go to Jerusalem. Jesus was saying, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be nailed to a cross and I'm going to rise again. Were the, were, was Pilate free? Was the, was, the, was the high priest free? Was the Sanhedrin free? I, I'm serious. I'm, I'm asking that as a question. Sir, do you, were they, did they freely do what they did? Yeah. But God ordained it too, right? All right, so... God has knowledge. He foreordains things. And if He foreordains things, and, I, and what do we believe about that? What, what, what do we believe? How far does that foreordination go? Well, I personally believe that, he, that, that it covers all things. Romans 8.28 specifically brings that out, right? Nothing's happening by accident. Even the bad things that are happening in your life are happening because of God working something for good. Uh, we, we've t- we touched on jo- uh, Joseph and his brothers so many times, I feel like you all, uh, you all just say, Can't just use another example. But uh, God was working there. When they took him and threw him into the pit, God was doing a work. All right, so some professing Christians, and I'm going to use that term loosely, express doubts about God's exhaustive knowledge for the very reason that you and I just stated. They don't know how mankind can be free and God still know. Uh, One of the big names, uh, there's a couple other smaller names, uh, but a a man by the name of, well, a man and actually his nephew that bore the same name, of Socinus. And there's where we get the heresy that is called Socinianism. Socinianism. Has anybody ever heard of Socinianism? All right, this was a, uh, a heresy from, very, from, uh, from probably the very late... 1500s or so that cropped up, where they actually are probably the um, forefathers of the modern liberal church. And what what do I mean by that? Uh, Well, you have a lot of churches, you have a lot of churches right here, even in Moorhead, that are dead. And I don't mean dead like uh, they don't have their pews filled, they probably have more people than we do there. But they're dead because they're just going through motions of Christianity and they don't really believe any of it. That's Socinianism. That's the effects of Socinianism. What did Socinianism deny? Well, uh, they denied the deity of Christ. They denied the substitutionary, penal substitutionary atonement of Christ. And they also denied his omniscience. 
And what, is this, what, what was so Sinaius's issue with omniscience? We're just going to pick on that part. Um, so Sinaism, uh, kind of, you've got to understand uh, theologically where people stood. Uh, you have Calvinism on one hand. And I'm not going to draw this on the board just because I don't know if I can do, <laughs> can do it justice. But you have Calvinism on the one hand, and what does Calvinism say? It teaches that God has foreordained whatsoever has come to pass. Um, in this sense, I, 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 consider, I consider myself to be far more Calvinistic than I ever, I ever was. Why? Because he foreknows whatsoever comes to pass. Now, Arminians, now who are the Arminians today? Those are going to be your free will Baptists or your Church of God, stuff like that. I believe some of those are good brothers in Christ. I believe they are. Uh, I, I believe they're misled about some things. <laughs> uh, I think some of them will, if they go too far in the doctrine that they teach, will, will run into some major problems. But the Arminians denied that God foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, but they still wanted to hold on to God's foreknowledge of whatever comes to pass. So here you have the Calvinist over here. He's like, God foreknows all things because He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. You have the Arminians over here. They say, well, God knows everything that's going to come to pass, but it's not because He foreordained it all. Well, the Socinians take that logic one step further. And they say the, there is the, the, the only real basis for believing God knows what we are going to do next is to believe that He ordained all things, and therefore we need to get rid of both ideas. God does not know what's happening next. They will still say lofty things about God. They'll say, well, God's wise and He'll figure it out. <laughs> uh, but He doesn't know what's happening next. Uh, the Socinians insisted that it was a contradiction of human freedom to believe in the sovereign foreordination of God, and the Arminians were wrong to try to hold on to one without holding on to the other. So they, in other words, went all the way in. <laughs> or the Arminians were kind of just tipping the toe in and saying that, eh, yeah, and the Socinians came and they just jumped all the way in, said, God doesn't know. That was their answer. Now, I'm not getting into the Calvinism and Arminian debate um, and, and uh, I just wanted to kind of couch that in ways that, that, uh, that we can understand how these things are related, how these different schools of thoughts are related. So the contemporary, there are contemporary free will theists, uh, they'll call, but what we probably most know this from, this doctrine is called... Open theism. Open theism. That's the name of this doctrine. Open theism is the Socinian doctrine. The idea that God does not know the future. And He has not foreordained all things that come to pass. So an open theist will abandon any attempt to marry what it says about the knowledge of God to any practical theology. Like we just saw, uh, 
And we're going to get more into this idea of God knowing the future here uh, before we quit. But we saw his understanding is infinite. There is no boundary. It doesn't come to the present and say, oh, well, I don't know what's beyond this. Uh, That's not what you're getting from Scripture. Uh, So they've stopped trying to marry actual biblical data about what it says God knows to practical theology. An open theism abandons any attempt... uh, to marry those two, and, God, and they just simply say God does not have exhaustive knowledge of the, of the future. They argue, said Frame, that if God knows the future completely, the future must be fixed, and man cannot be free in the sense of libertarian freedom. Controversy, I told you. I, we weren't going to get away from controversy to talking about the knowledge of God. This is the, this is the controversy. Uh, so... I, first of all, I'm going to tell you that I don't want to make light of this issue that this is not, a, this, this is not, this is not something that uh, this can simply be made light of. Uh, you, you, we are sure about one thing as well. Not only are we sure about what it says God knows, but what we're sure about His Lordship and His sovereignty in all things, but we're also sure about our responsibility for what we do. So, we talked before about this idea of libertarian freedom. The idea of libertarian freedom is that there is no cause for what we do. We're completely free. Every, every decision we make is completely uncaused. Um, whereas there is, I will say, there are views of human freedom that are not libertarian in nature like that, to say it's all uncaused. Uh, for instance, Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher, uh, wrote, on, wrote on the freedom of man's will. And what he taught is, is man does what his greatest desire is. Man does what his greatest desire is. His arguments were, is there is no such thing as an uncaused choice. Every choice has influences. Every choice has things that are drawing it towards itself or whatever, and mankind is ultimately free in the fact that mankind will ultimately choose what he desires most. Uh, and that is, a, that, that is a much more in line with an idea of freedom, and we're going to get into that. But I just want to touch on a couple things about God's knowledge of future in general, and then we're going to get into the really heavy stuff about open theism next week. But just generally, God knows the future. I want to take two minutes to talk about this. Uh, first of all, I want to throw one word at you, and I know this will make uh, Brother Rocky very happy. Prophecy. Amen? <laughs> prophecy. God knows the future. And most prophecies in the Scriptures have already been fulfilled. Why? Because God knows the future. <laughs> uh, and, that, and that becomes a foundation for our understanding of prophecy. What is a true prophet? In Deuteronomy 18 and 21 and 22, a true prophet, if they say something and it doesn't come to pass, what are they? They're false prophets. So if they say something and it does come to pass, they're true prophets. Now there's more to that, but if they say something and it comes to pass, and then they say, let's go after other gods, they may still be false prophets, because uh, the devil does, 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 uh, can manip- manipulate the future <laughs> uh, some. Sometimes I like uh, you get people that will go to a uh, a uh, tarot card reading and or uh, or or 
some, somebody's reading their palm or, or looking in the crystals or something like that. And, oh, you're going to leave here and you're going to hit, hit by a red car. <laughs> and, and then some demon <laughs> will get into the red car behind you <laughs> and hit you. Uh, the devil can manipulate the future. But, but part of a test of a true prophet is, is this, this assumption that God knows what's going to happen. And if this person is speaking on behalf of God and he's speaking about future events, they must come to pass or that person is false. It is never even considered a possibility, said John Frame, that God himself might be in error if the thing doesn't come to pass. What is the assumption? That one's false because what he said did not come to pass. Uh, that is the understanding. God does not err. If God says something is going to happen, it happens. God is necessarily right. Uh, and that is the assumption of the Scriptures. Um, turn to Isaiah chapter 41. We're going to have to come to an end here. Uh, knowledge of the future is not the only test of a true prophet, but it is, a trust, it is the test of a true God. I like, that. I like how Frame said that. Um, in Isaiah 40 through 49, we have the trial of the... Of the uh, False gods here. And I think this is one Jimmy already mentioned. <laughs> uh, so let's read it. Uh, so the Bible is not the Bible is not just closed about this matter. It, the Bible doesn't support open theism at all. And we're going to see this very plainly. Isaiah 41, verse 21. Produce your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. He's, he's challenging the false gods. Tell us what's going to happen. Let them show the former things, what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them and declare, uh, and declare us the things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter. This is the challenge of, to God, to all false gods here. Show me what's going to be hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. So this is the challenge he sets before him. And he goes on and later and says, God knows all things from the end to the beginning. Um, and what was that verse? Uh, 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 Isaiah 46, I think. Uh, and I get, there are several of them written down here. 46.10. Declaring, this is, what, this is the one Brother Jimmy already brought up. Declaring the end from the beginning. Go one verse for earlier. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end. How long has he been declaring the end? Since the beginning. From the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So, the Bible is not open theistic. It has a God, it presents us with a God that knows past, present, future. And His Word is brought forth faithfully. Um, he foretold the destruction of Nineveh. And now there are times where 
Jonah may stand up as a prophet of God and says, yet 40 days and God will destroy. And God decides not to destroy. And people will bring up stuff like that. But God eventually did destroy Nineveh. But he had mercy on them at that point in time. And therefore he sent them someone teaching, preaching repentance to them. Um, so there, there are things like that. But the diverse elements of prophecy, the crucial elements of prediction of the future are to reveal the truth of God. Isaiah 13 says, Behold, the day, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath, a fierce anger, to make the land desolate, to destroy its sinners from it. God knows when His judgment will come. God knew everything about the Messiah before He ever came. I mean, we're not just talking about uh, the coming in of the Gentiles, Him being born in Bethlehem, but how much money He was going to be sold for. He knew. Uh, the very words that they were going to mock him with at the cross. He knew. Uh, and he fulfilled it. He fulfilled those things. His prophecy is a great, uh, great aspect. But that's not all. And we'll do the rest next week. Because he doesn't just know future events. He knows what's going to happen to you. He knows what's going to happen to me. He knows everything about me. My end, my beginning, the entire span of my life, the very number, the very hairs on my head. <laughs> and he's already appointed a time for me to meet with him face to face. He knows. So we'll get to that next week, and we're going to find that the scriptures are not open theistic. All right, so any questions or complaints or grievances? <laughs> I know we're getting into heavier waters here talking about omniscience, but we cannot not talk about this problem of open theism. All right, no questions or complaints. We got about 10 minutes before the next hour. <laughs>